and really being centered in our purpose, I believe, is one of the cornerstones of fulfillment and a life well lived. That was Jake Ducey, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. We made it. We're on the other side of the holidays. Can you believe that? We survived. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Welcome to episode 123 of the podcast, of my podcast, of the RRP, of the Rich Roll podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on iTunes. Thank you for spreading the word to your friends. Thank you for checking out my newsletter at richroll.com. And thank you for clicking through the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. Thank you so much to everybody who did that over the holidays uh, for all your kind of gift purchases and all of that. That really helped us out a lot, and I appreciate it very, very much. All right, it's 2015. What does that mean? Resolutions. You're thinking about, what can I do differently? What do I have to let go of? How do I take my game to the next level? Maybe that means that, hey, I should check out some podcasts that could maybe help me out. So maybe you're brand new to this, and if you are, Thank you for uh, giving this show a shot, a chance. I appreciate that. So if you are new and you have no idea who I am, well, who am I? (laughs) I am an ultra-distance endurance athlete. I'm a best-selling author of a book called Finding Ultra. You can find that on iTunes or Amazon. I am a wellness advocate, a plant-based nutrition advocate. I'm a public speaker. I am a, I guess you could call me a lifestyle entrepreneur. Uh, And I'm a husband and I'm a father of four kids. And this show, this show is about unpacking the tools necessary to live your best life, how to live a most excellent existence. So each week I sit down with the best and the brightest and the most forward thinking paradigm busting minds I can find in health, wellness, fitness, sports, nutrition, the arts, and even entrepreneurship to tap their experience, their knowledge, and their insights to help you guys Discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. 
To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. All right, if you guys know me, if you've heard me speak, maybe you're a longtime listener to the show, then you may know that one of my favorite writers is Henry David Thoreau, who's also responsible for one of my favorite quotes of all time. And that quote goes like this. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is considered resignation is confirmed desperation. That's a pretty astute observation. And if it was true in his time, I would have to surmise that it's probably even more true today. But what does it mean exactly? Well, one interpretation of it, one way of kind of distilling it down to its core is... What if the path you think you're meant to be living isn't your path at all? What if the path you think you're meant to be living isn't your path at all? It takes a little mental gymnastics to sort through that. And it took me decades to kind of navigate this mental Rubik's Cube. And it's only now at age 48 uh, that I feel like I'm getting any handle on this concept whatsoever. But not so with today's guest. 
let's meet Jake Ducey. Jake's a guy who at 19, uh, after a car accident while drunk, had a bit of an epiphany. And that epiphany was that maybe, just maybe, the road to happiness, the road to fulfillment might mean something different for him than the promise of the American dream paved by that well-trodden path of pursuing good grades and being a good boy and trying to get into the best school and chasing after that secure career path. And it's an interesting story. I mean, Jake just up and walked out on a collegiate basketball scholarship. He quit college and he pooled what little money he had and he just lit out to travel the world. And along the way, he chronicled his journey and the insights it provoked, distilling them down into a book that he titled Into the Wind. And despite being turned down by every single publisher, uh, nonetheless, at age 19, he self-published this book. And without any marketing budget whatsoever or any publicist or any team, he still managed to self-promote it up into Amazon's top 300. And as someone who has authored a book, I can tell you that that is no small feat. That's a big accomplishment. So from there, Jake got a book agent. He landed the mentorship of Jack Canfield, which in and of itself is an amazing story. Jake, Jack Canfield, of course, is the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He sold like, you know, 800 bazillion books. Jake went on to become a TEDx speaker and became the youngest person to land a motivational book publishing deal at a major publishing house, Penguin, Tarcher. And the result is the book that came out this week, a book called The Purpose Principles. And this is a book that draws on the stories of success, the stories of failure, and the common threads among some of today's most successful and influential people. And Jake really kind of throughout the, the course of this book outlines his plan for living your best life in a changing world. And I love that because that's really the theme of this show, right? So if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, then you know I love getting the millennial perspective on life. I've had more than a few young and precocious enterprising people on the show, and I love young people. And as a parent of two teenage boys and two soon-to-be teenage girls, I really want to understand what makes the next generation tick. What's important to them? What is the lens through which they perceive the world? And how will that perception frame and shape the world to be, the world that they will inherit and that they will steward over the next you know, however many years? But I got to say this. I mean, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't raise a certain question that bugged me when the prospect of interviewing Josh arose. I mean, come on, let's face it. I'm 48 years old. Is there really anything, anything at all that a 23-year-old, let alone a 19-year-old, could possibly say that I could learn from? And, you know, I don't know. Am I a snob that way? Maybe. But let's face it. It's a real question. I mean, come on, right? I mean, what kind of life experiences or insights could such a young person have that could be distilled down into a book that would actually help inspire and educate myself and people in my generation? I will say this. I was pleasantly surprised by this kid. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's a conversation that gives me hope for the younger set. And, you know, that younger set often gets a bad rap. The millennials are labeled as entitled, as lazy, and Jake is anything but that. And this is a conversation about what is really going on with millennials. I mean, what is really going on, right? Like, I want to know. And it's a conversation that delves into universal subjects that all young people, well, all people, for that matter, should be grappling with. Subjects like, what is our purpose? 
how to be most fulfilled in our life. It's about the suppression of creativity in our school systems. It's about self-directed learning, the importance of mentorship, how to connect with your passion, how to propel yourself forward in the face of fear, why it's okay to feel different, and why it's so important to go after your dreams. Because purpose is the strongest form of activism. Let's check this dude out. You got to be stoked, man. Your book, it's coming out pretty soon, right? Yeah, January 2nd. I'm really excited. That's crazy, man. Thanks. What's, uh, what's the plan? Like, do you have a, some big, like, tour plan? I mean, you're going to do stuff with, like, a work tour, and you're, like, going on the road? Like, what's going on? Yeah, it's going to be a crazy year. My manager is the founder of the Warp Tour, so Whoa. I'm going to be doing a lot of things involved in that, from some emceeing, some speaking, live streaming. I'm going to be covering the whole nonprofit community there. So I'm going to be doing that. That starts June 18th till August 8th. Wow. What do you mean covering the whole nonprofit community? What does that mean? Well, the really cool thing about the Warp Tours is not just like this music kind of arts thing. They have an entire nonprofit sector. They actually help launch Invisible Children. They, oh, they did. sign oh, wow. young people up. It's 600,000, uh-huh. 700,000 millennials between 52 cities. So they sign people up. They inform people about what's going on. They have a whole basically center of the nonprofit stuff. Mm. So, you know, my work started primarily as an as an activist. Mm-hmm. I was a freshman in college and really pissed off at what was happening in the world and why I was learning these stupid <laughs> things about economic theory in my economics class when then I, you know, we have to create shifts and just the way money's printed through private companies like federal reserve and my teacher wouldn't let me ask those questions and Mm. i've been detained by the secret service protesting the keystone xl oil pipeline and i just believe purpose is is the strongest form of activism that's what my new book is really right that's pretty cool so wait a minute you got you got you got detained by the who secret service (laughs) what was the president around or something he was at martha's vineyard when it happened i've got a great picture i can show you afterwards getting loaded into the secret just indulge me here like what exactly happened yeah i'm writing an article about it that's going to be published on alternate which is a real big top 10 traffic political blogs Mm -hmm. online that'll come out the week my book's out january 2nd and i was i just i dropped out of college i was went to school to play basketball as a top recruit in san diego dropped out after I was really disenfranchised, traveled around the world, came back, wrote my first book, Into the Wind. In the process of writing it, I heard about the Keystone XL oil pipeline, which many top climatologists are saying is essentially end game for the climate. It's one of the last largest carbon reserves on the planet. Mm-hmm. The Koch brothers, all these other um, people that are lobbying are putting in $50 million into pockets of politicians to pass this because they're going to profit so much on the back end all the money, all the bitumen, it's not normal oil, it's bitumen, and it takes four barrels of clean water to produce one barrel of oil. Then they're sending it all overseas to China and other people to sell it. It's not even going to us. And Is that the water use, is that due to fracking to get it out, or how does that work? Similar to fracking in terms of destruction, but it's and it's also similar in, in terms of clear-cutting forests going down in the ground to get it. It is different than fracking, but mm-hmm. it's so dirty that they need to use the water in order to extract it, and they're putting so much chemicals into it. Um, so I found out about these things like that, and I was like, you know, what the heck? This mm-hmm. is a total wrong step in the direction when Obama took the podium and he said, quote, 
like the 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 rise of the sea level is going to stop like i'm here to create right. this change the champion of the environment and all that yeah and i you know as a 19 year old these guys like these guys like the Koch brothers they're not going to be around in 20 years like they're blinded by their own short-sighted profit schemes and people like us and your children and the children I hope to have, like they're not going to have a world and the more carbon in the atmosphere, of course, the warmer it's going to get. And so I went out, I flew from San Diego to protest it, 350.org, put it on. Jim Hansen, Obama's chief climatologist was there. Um, we were, we had a permit to protest. So where was, where was this? In front of the white house. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was 19 or 20. And so this was two years ago and they came and we we're like, yeah, we're just going to get like a ticket or something like that for maybe obstructing traffic. Cause you're legally allowed to do that. You know, right. the secret service came and they put us in paddy wagons, handcuffed our hands and feet, didn't read us our rights, didn't charge us with anything. We weren't able to call lawyers. There's 64 of us, uh, like seven, eight people were hospitalized wow. between the three days. Is that under like some kind of Patriot Act uh, thing? Something, not the Patriot Act, but it's a new thing that Obama signed like three years ago where basically if the Secret Service is present at anything, they're allowed to take you um, basically as as a threat to whatever, you know, schemes is going, whatever agenda you're obstructing. They held us for three days. Three days? Three days, yeah. Three days, never charged. Could you make a phone call or could you... When we first, when we first got there, we were able to, some of us, not everyone, I was able to make a phone call. Only about half the people were able to make phone calls. I called my brother. I'm like, Hey dude, (laughs) I don't know what's happening, but, and we weren't, we never got charged with anything. We never Mm -hmm. got booked. They told us we're going to keep you. You're eventually going to go see a judge. And we didn't really know what our charge was. Dan Choi was the cell next to me. He was the first major Lieutenant in the army that actually came out. Um, as gay. Mm-hmm. And so that was really interesting because he's like, he's, his life has been in jeopardy by right. doing these things. So it was really interesting. Um, How many people got detained? 64. Oh, okay. And wow. And he, they, were they all sort of under the 350.org umbrella? Under the umbrella in terms of 350.org organized, kind of organized it. Organized that, right. I wasn't even familiar with 350.org beforehand. Now I am. Bill McKibben, you know, of course the founder mm-hmm. was there. And uh, there were, you know, we were sitting there and there were young girls, five years old, with their 50-year-old parents there. And when the Secret Service came, the parents were like, okay, you got to get it. Something's happening. You have to get mm-hmm. out of here. They stuffed up in these wagons mess with us like they would drive us to different jails all through the night and be like no this one's full we got to go to the other one and just messing with us i saw like a 60 year old guy like just crying like he he had lost all hope like you know imagine being that age and like seeing really what they could do to you um they weren't giving us water um we were getting like these four ounce styrofoam cups every 12 hours they forgot one day we didn't get any water Really? Um, I mean, there's this weird erosion of due process that's happening with the expansion of, you know, sort of executive authority to, you know, act without recourse. It's kind of amazing, you know, that you could get held for three days without getting charged, without without any arraignment, without, you know, it's 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 really 
it's really disturbing to see kind of the form, the early formation of this police state that we're moving into and the sort of privatization of, of you're seeing what's happening in Ferguson and all the protests that are happening right now. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. If you kind of take a 10,000 foot view on what's happening, like this is not the country we were living in, you know, 20 years ago. No, no. I mean, granted I was three years old at that time, but you know, and to wrap it up, they told us eventually we were Keep going forgetting to how young you are. <laughs> yeah. 23. Yeah. They told us, you know, we were going to see a judge on the third day. We got there. They were like, all right, we waited the entire day in the, in the main holding cell. And they're like, all right, you're going to see a judge now. They put us up against the wall. They hang, they uncuff mm-hmm. our feet in our hands. I know they uncuff our feet. Yeah. In our hands. And they take us through the hallway. We think it's to go see the judge. It's the door outside. And they're like, see you later. They just Whoa. let us go. So it was just a whole mind game. Yeah, they were messing with us so we wouldn't come back, so other people wouldn't protest. That totally backfired. It's really just about clearing you off the street and taking you out of commission for a while until like, yeah. everything blows over and then releasing you. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was a total wrong move um, because that was really an inspiration for me to see the importance. You know, I came back, couldn't get a publisher for my first book, self-published, sold really well. Penguin picked me up, and I really believe you know, to, to wrap it in is like, I really believe that when we're really standing for something and we're centered in our purpose, that's how big business is going to shift. Um, that's how things will really change when we're, when we're not at subject to mm-hmm. everything from, from marketing to the agendas of, of big business and, and people that are putting millions into politicians pockets when we can really take a stand in our own way and find what matters to us. Yeah. I appreciate that perspective and I want to take it back and I want to hear the whole, the whole sort of story, (laughs) you know, how you got to where you are, where you are right now. But, but just before we do that, um, you know, I always love having millennials on the show. I've had it, you know, because it allows me to kind of step into, the generation beneath me and kind of try to see the world through, you know, a young person's eyes. Cause you know, let's face it. I'm like old enough to be your dad, <laughs> even though I don't feel like that. Um, and you know, millennials get a bad rap. I mean, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's sort of like, Oh, the entitled generation, you know, the generation of instant gratification. They don't want to work hard. They expect everybody to just kind of, you know, cater to them and all this sort of thing. And, and my experience with young people, and it's a self-selecting group because it's the people that are attracted to what I'm doing, the people, yeah. you know, the people that are attractive to me in, in, in what they're doing. But you know, I see a lot of people like yourself who are really concerned about the world, who are um, sort of uh, pissed off and feeling disenfranchised by the way that the generation that preceded them has sort of treated the environment and treated the economy and how the government is running. And with the transparency that the internet brings, there's a level of kind of awareness and activism that, that I didn't have when I was 23 years old. And that's what I'm seeing in people like yourself. So, you know, sort of walk me through, you know, your worldview, like what you see and like what you see in other people, your age, like what's going on with, the 20 somethings out there, man. Yeah. Firstly, I'd like to, you know, acknowledge you for, you know, your interest in young people. Cause you know, there's a lot of people like yourself that have a really high level of, of influence in the world, have podcasts, have shows, have radio shows. They don't want anything to do with young mm-hmm. people. So, you know, I, I really respect and appreciate that. And I have a different stance. I think that they're, you know, they always talk about how we're so disengaged and, I think it's because young people see through a lot of the 
crap. Like we saw our parents, one out of like two families getting divorced. We saw them fighting over money to work at a job they didn't want to be at. You know, I, I was in fourth grade, I think, when 9-11 happened. And I remember the next two years being a kid and turn, the news was on and they had they were live streaming bombing other countries. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we grew up to. And like young people before were really conditioned to the world, I believe that we have a sense that like of what's real and what's not. And I think that there's not other alternatives being shared. And so I think that's hence such high levels of ADD, ADHD, depression, teen suicide, so much um, alcohol use uh, excessively in colleges, Mm -hmm. drug overdoses. It's like, there's not being, fortunately, I I was blessed enough to find a, a route out of it. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of young people aren't finding those routes and the media focuses on those people. But I feel like older generations can do a better job of emphasizing and so I think young people get the picture, even if they can't have a debate about politics or the education system, they'll just, they'll summarize it like this. Yeah, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's almost like a level of x-ray vision, you know, that I think people your age have. And, you know, for, for me, I'm 48, you know, my parents are baby boomers, you know, they grew up in the fifties and that was sort of the post-war generation where it was the first time where it's like you could get, you know, even if you had a blue collar job, you could buy a house, you could buy a car, you could raise a family, you could put, you know, you could like, you could take care, you could meet your needs and have like a good life. And there was an expectation that every generation that follows will kind of exceed the level of the generation that preceded it. Like you can do better. Right. And, uh, and, you know, I think my generation was the first one to kind of believe that, buy into that, but then get to a certain point and go, for a lot of people, it's like, wait a minute, you know, is this, why am I not happy or this isn't really yeah. working, but I'm, but I'm already like, you know, I'm already like a grown man before yeah. I'm having this, you know, realization that, you know, maybe this isn't the direction that I want my life to take. Whereas you guys right from the gate are like seeing a world where things like job security, you know, that's just not it's just not what it was. Like, it's not a world of like, you get a job and you work there for a long time and you, you know, save money and retire. Like that's not even part of the mental calculus. Like we're in this, we're in this like independent contractor, you know, kind of part-time employee, four hour work week kind of situation for people that are your age. Like that's the way you kind of perceive professionalism, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely would agree with that. I think largely young people think the idea of retirement is a hoax. It's like, why would you? Well, it is a hoax, but, but you're, I mean, we're just, we're just in denial about it. Like, yeah. You see it immediately. And young people are like, why would you spend an entire life working at something that you would want to retire from? Why wouldn't you just find something you didn't want to retire from? And so there's definitely a shift in those type of uh, philosophies. And I think also, I read a couple of things I thought were interesting. My generation, millennials, are the first that are expected to make less, earn less, and have less than previous generations mm-hmm. the first time. And, and also, I was looking recently at a really big Gallup poll, and 76% of people that were uh, polled um, are, these are not just millennials, are actively disengaged from their job. And like 35% of them are totally unhappy. Mm -hmm. And like, 
I think people just really recognize that and the kind of for our work week entrepreneurialism, do it as little as you can to find other things outside of work, I think is a product of we're not being given appropriate opportunities within the institutions and establishments in order to find things that are actually going to fulfill us rather than, you know, ways that they say are going to make us money so we can accumulate things. And Mm -hmm. I think since there's not those things that creates, that's naturally what happens. It creates a disengagement, a disenfranchised of a generation, which is what we're seeing is happening. And I think that older generations, mainstream media specifically, doesn't recognize that component. And they're like, well, why aren't they buying into this? Well, because it's not working, you know? And so I I think that's really what's happening, even with people that are in school. Fortunately, you know, I was, I I don't know, I just decided I was had enough and I dropped out and traveled and Mm -hmm. that served me really well. But I think even the people in traditional paths they know it's not what they want to do for sure. Right. And I think at the same time, there's a level of activism though. Like there's an interest in getting involved with, you know, NGOs and the 350.orgs of the world. And, you know, I know people that are getting advanced degrees in permaculture and young people working on organic farms and things like that, that like I would have never considered, you know, when I was your age, that, that is interesting to me. And I think when I look at the culture, um, I wonder like, what would it take for there to be kind of rioting the streets like there was during the Vietnam era. You know, like, what would have to happen? Because, you know, for the most part, even, you know, like, we have food on the table, the DirecTV works, there's a Wi-Fi connection, you know, and it's like, so as long as that's intact, it's very easy to just be like, well, everything's good, man. Like, I, you know, I can't be bothered with, like, getting involved in anything because Dancing with the Stars is on TV or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I, you know, and I kind of contrast that with the interests of people that are your age, kind of the things that are coming out of your mouth, what I'm seeing as a result of Ferguson and all the kind of rioting that's going on right now. And, and I think, you know, you see cracks in the fiber of the social fabric, you know, that's kind of holding all of this up and it's showing its stress points, its fracture points right now. And it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. And I think, you know, what does that mean to somebody who's 23 years old? Like, you know, how is that affecting your decisions about what you want to do with your life? Yeah, no. That's not really a question. It's not really a question, (laughs) but I totally, I totally agree with you that it's not a question. And I also, I totally agree. I think it's more than just showing a bit of cracks. I think people are totally seeing this is going something's about to give, mm-hmm. something's about to totally blow away. And I think we're on the verge of, and I don't think that it's just going to, the riots are going to continue because there's not an emphasis of the of the feelings of the people that are rioting, both in the streets or uh, emotionally rioting. There's no emphasis by the, there's no um, empathy by the establishment and I think the more and more pe- young people see that, the more and more force is used, the more you can, anyone can see that that's a sign of real weakness and, and, and a lack of stability within the system. And I think the more and more of those violence things happen, the more and more people start to awaken to things. And I, th- I, I think that the more and more companies like um, Penguin and all these companies start looking to younger people. Um, You know, I'm blessed to be one of them, but there's so many more of them. Mm -hmm. 
that are getting the opportunity to create success untraditionally, I think that's the time when young people start to disengage more and more when they see, look, he did it, she did it, that person did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had said something about when will more and more young people see this as a sign in order to leave these traditional paths. I think the more and more a few people start, it's the domino effect. Right. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, let's let's take it back. You're growing up in Encinitas. Yeah. You kind of got like a little bit of a Sean White thing going on <laughs> with the hair and the, you know, the flying tomato look a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the community. I know Encinitas well. It's, you know, it's a beach town. It's a beautiful place to grow up. Must have been a nice place to be a kid and go to the beach and skateboard and play basketball and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. One, one time recently when I was back in Encinitas, I was in the sauna and the sky in the sauna thought I was Sean White. Oh, did, I was yeah. like, no, I'm not, man. <laughs> he so. cut his hair. Don't, don't you know that? <laughs> yeah. So it was a beautiful place to grow up and yeah, I feel so grateful for the opportunity to be able to go outside in December and, and to just have a lot of people that were active. Sports were a big part of my life growing up and gave me a really strong foundation that I've applied to other areas of my life since then. I grew up traditionally in terms of at the time my dad was a salesperson for you know big software companies and mm-hmm. he traveled two to four weeks out of the, sometimes I wouldn't see him for four weeks, you know, mm-hmm. he was traveling a lot, doing his thing. He was drafted by the Cubs out of high school as a catcher, oh, wow. all American, went to USC, played baseball, blew out his knee, six foot four, good looking sales guy, you know, uh-huh. making good money as a 25 year old. And I saw how unhappy my parents were since I was a kid, you know, and that always had an imprint on me, but I followed traditionally, played sports, did really well. I was MVP of one of the top leagues in San Diego. We were top 50 in the state in basketball. And I was following that route. I thought, you know, I'll go to college, right. get a degree, make a bunch of money. Well, who wouldn't, you know, I was like, play, play basketball in college. Like, that sounds pretty good. You know, when you're a kid, that's, that sounds like a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you end up going to college for your freshman year, but it didn't, didn't last long before you were like, this isn't for me. It actually, I tore something in my knee my senior year of my mm. IT band, ironically, uh, how uncommon that is. I tore my IT band and I had to have surgery because it was just crazy inflammation. And so we found that it was torn after the season. So I had surgery. I was out for nine months and I started to think a bit going into the end of high school. Is this what I want to do, get my knee all better and then lose them again in four years just to get my degree? I was never a good student. Uh And I decided to decline a couple little bit bigger schools, some like Chico and Cal State Monterey, and go to a smaller school, Cal Lutheran. The coach told me it was going to be an opportunity to do a little bit more. I wasn't. Cal Lutheran out in Thousand Oaks? In Thousand Oaks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So nice pool there. there Yeah, dude. Super nice everything. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to do more things. And we had to, we were required to be up there three months before school started. And they called it shoot around, but it was mandatory practice. Uh-huh. And as soon as I got there, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And then once school started, you know, it's, there's a, I believe there's a suppression of all creativity in, in a lot of creativity in school. And I read a, one of my articles from my book releases, Why I Learn More by Dropping Out of College. I was going to study business. Um, 
in econ class, we weren't allowed to talk about economic disparities. We weren't allowed to talk about why we can't audit the Federal Reserve. That's how my first book starts, Mm. me asking my teacher why I can't audit the Federal Reserve. (laughs) So, you know, all these things were... I'm trying to remember. Somebody who was on the podcast, oh, it was my friend Evan Rock. He goes... The Federal Reserve is about as federal as FedEx. Yeah, I know. Isn't that <laughs> the truth, man? So I'm. everyone else is in the class is trying to learn the book. And I'm like, this is class. Like, why can't we talk about things that are going to affect our generation? Look at this debt. Look at this. Look at that. My teacher's mm-hmm. like, basically, like, come with me after class. He sits me down and he's like, clearly, you know, you have this intellectual curiosity and you can be a great student, but in class, you really need to focus on the textbook. You can go really far. I'm like, I don't want to go really far. I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that was how That's it was. It's not part of the curriculum. No, though. it's not. And it's really sad to see, um, you know, and then general ed classes, which in my opinion are, it's a total waste. It's really sad to see why would I, why would I need to know how fast a brick falls off the third story of a building or like what the circumference of the earth is and these things that are like on our tests. And it was just really sad. Uh, I felt super stuck. And I remember I did a presentation in my economics class on how the North American free trade agreement isn't actually the free trade agreement. And it's just a way for us to exploit third world countries. And i got an A plus on it. And I was like, I'm never coming back to class again. And I just left and I started re somebody gave me a book, like first, like Eckhart Tolle, a new earth. Someone mm-hmm. gave me like uh, Jack Canfield's the success principles. And I thought they were stupid. And I finally read them and they changed my life. It changed mm-hmm. everything about my life as a freshman. My dad started showing me about how money's printed and, and a lot of government corruption and economic disparities. And I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Did and you watch uh, that TED talk by Sir? Uh, what's his Sir name? Ken Sir Robinson. Ken, Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah, most yeah. watch TED talk ever about because you mentioned uh, education killing creativity. I mean, that's his big. Thing, that's right? I think it's yeah. called that. Education yeah, yeah. kills creativity. <laughs> yeah. And so all those things really, you know, it's hard to be in a plate. It's a lot easy. It would be been a lot easier if I if I wasn't starting to question these things. Um, and I was. Did you feel alone? Like, were you the only one? I mean, so alone, CLU man. is kind of like a, that's kind of a conservative Super conser- institution, right? So you're, you know, you're kind of hippieing out on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> My hair was still buzzed and I uh-huh. decided then I was going to grow it out. Um, and, I I was a big partier um, my whole life. I started getting really... The he- first time I did cocaine was a sophomore in high school. I just happened to be really good at basketball and things didn't affect me. I flipped my car four times, 400, down, 400 mm. feet down a ravine when I was drunk, um, different things like that. And when I got into college and I started reading these books and started asking questions and looking into myself, maybe, what is life all about? I never asked myself that. Mm. And... That was mind-blowing, and that's what made me not want to go party and go out. There's still a lot of parties at CLU and places like that, but I felt so isolated that the only thing I started doing was reading and writing poetry, actually, Mm -hmm. which turned into books eventually. Uh The brooding sort of Jim Morrison type. Yeah. (laughs) Ralph Waldo Emerson (laughs) is my guy. He's your guy. guy. Yeah. Well, I watched your TED Talk. You you reference him. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that was big, man, to to be in there and and feel so, I felt so alone. But at the same time, it was crazy to see that everyone else was noticing. My old friends are like, whoa, you look like really good. You look really happy. You look really different. And so it was, my path felt reassuring. Right. 
So what do you think it, so it wasn't like there was one moment where you woke up and said, I, I got to live my life differently. It was just a gradual process of kind of realizing like, Hey, my shoes don't really fit so well right now. Yeah. It was a gradual process and the ultimate straw. It was a really gradual learning on my own self-directed learning is what I call it. And what happened was one day I got in a huge fight with my economics teacher in front of the class. Like I was like really mad and I went home, I slammed the door, and I'm never going back again. Why? Because he was just trying to direct you to the textbook and you wanted to have some kind of. Yeah, I wanted to, like, I wasn't talking conspiracy <laughs> theories. I wanted to talk about, like, the debt and, like, the Federal Reserve and, like, how. So, like, how do you think we, that my generation solves these problems? Like, we're learning these things to go work for these companies, but, like, what if these companies aren't around anymore? What? And like the class is even arguing against me because they uh-huh. want to get an A on their paper, you know? And that was like, I just realized like it literally was not conducive to my learning. For other people, it may be great. Well, but- there's a difference between like learning and, and formalized education, you know, or, or getting a degree versus like a, a thirst for knowledge, like true knowledge. Those aren't always, you know, simpatico. Right, no. like you got to like be on the program. Like you got to hit these beats and move forward. We got to take this test, and then you take the next course, and that's different from just a general desire to kind of know how the world operates. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. It was like when I realized like the difference between like specific knowledge and general knowledge, and I was like, why I don't want to be in this place for general knowledge. And like I was at the time really looking into a lot of different. Um, world events and I was like well if the economy fully collapses and like whatever happens and the world really goes into shambles there's a third world war or whatever I'm gonna be so mad at myself if I'm stuck in this class so I thought I was gonna quit basketball in school at the same time I called my dad and my dad was like dude you should do what you want to do really my parents heard a voice yeah my my dad so he was down he wasn't like super down wow because my dad found out like eight years ago everything in the corporate world everything he was doing was total bs (laughs) yeah so he had his own disillusionment and was that was his way of saying like i don't want this to happen to my to me yeah interesting wow yeah he went pretty cool super cool my dad my mom's great too my dad is such a unique father you know um he you know he battled with a lot of depression and wondering what he was doing and and excessive alcohol just to battle so he could keep on the grind and Mm -hmm. he knew he knew it was he didn't want that for me and he he's like you know worse comes to worse you go back to school like go travel and that's what prompted me to get a backpack, no map, just cruise around basically and mm-hmm. just kind of see what would happen. Which was Right, like the, so you did like this sort of nomadic, like uh, you just just get a Eurail pass or something like that and bum around? Or I didn't go to Europe. Saved, or? Yeah, I had a little money saved. Uh-huh. And the cool thing about um, college, went, what's that? Oh, I was going to say you went to Guatemala first. I started in Guatemala, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go to that many places with other uh white people (laughs) and like i just wanted something really different that would really uh put me in a place i'd never been before so guatemala was where i started it's like a on some level like a search for something real and authentic yeah to like get away from the veneer of this 
society and consumerist culture? Yeah, it was for me at the time. And, you know, when I look back at it now, I think there's just as much realness here, you know, as, as there is in, in Guatemala, you know, we're having, I was looking for authentic connection, communication. You and I are having that right now. I have it with a lot of people in my life, but for me at the time, it was where I needed to go. Um, I definitely don't believe the answer is to travel. Um, especially after, you know, I came to my conclusion, um, after falling off a cliff in Indonesia and seeing my life flash before my eyes and realizing like, it's not about the next ticket I get or the next location in space and time. It was really about finding that place within me and like bringing that to the world. So I definitely don't want to, I definitely try not to put the message out that like your, the answer is in travel. Yeah. Yeah, Well, like what you learn in recovery is, uh, you know, it's called a geographic, like where you're trying to escape your reality, but the problem is you bring yourself with you. You know, it's like your external reality is different, but you're still the same person. I think travel is a great thing for young people to do, especially, uh, you know, kind of growing up in the kind of enclave of a place like Southern California. It's very easy to see, be very provincial. And I know a lot of young people that are like, well, I would never live anywhere outside of LA. And they think everywhere else is terrible and sucks. And I'm like, you need to go live other places, you know? And I've had the great opportunity to do a lot of travel over the last couple of years. And you just get perspective, you know? And I think that perspective is important. And I think young people should live in different places, but I agree with you. That's not the solution. You know, the solution is internal. It's like you read Eckhart Tolle, like he's basically telling you everything you need to know to get in touch with yourself and develop that greater relationship with, you know, who you truly are, your, your more authentic version of yourself and, and to figure out how you're going to express that in the sort of three dimensional physical world in which you're, you know, living and breathing. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was funny, too, because I was reading all these books and I conceptually understood it. I, I prided myself at the time of knowing every quote you could like possibly right. know. But I, I wasn't applying it. You know, you heard in my TED Talk, I, I was really realizing the difference between learning it and living it. Mm-hmm. And There's I, a big difference between that. Yeah. You see that online, like uh, on Twitter and stuff like that. It's really easy or on Instagram. It's really easy for people to like put inspirational quotes up and that's cool and everything like that. But I also feel like it's kind of like lazy, you know, it's like, Oh, like you did something by saying that, but like, is that really getting people to rethink things? Are they really changing? I mean, it's positive. It's good. But at the same time, I don't, you know, I'm like, quote yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And I definitely believe there's a difference between living an inspired, an inspired life for sure is a totally different thing. And so it was really ironic for me to go to Guatemala, Australia, through Indonesia, Thailand, and see the manifestation of these things I was reading about. I read, you know, that happiness is internal and that things aren't going to make you happy. But when I saw kids on the ground that were happy and they didn't have 25 cents, they literally had nothing to see it. The manifestations of these things, the examples of these things I was reading about was like a big part of my journey while I was traveling mm-hmm. and going through Australia, slept on the beach, you know, all these different things like that, being, uh, finding freedom and uncertainty. I before could tell people quotes about them, but uh-huh. to actually experience them was like, was really what I needed until I fell in Indonesia and these locals were taking care of me. And what had, exactly happened? In Australia, I decided to go to Indonesia. I was in the airport and my flight was delayed like six hours or something. And I was wanted to go. The flight was going to leave at midnight Australian time. 
no, no, it was going to land at midnight Indonesian time. And so they called us up and I'd just been lying on the ground on the floor and I went up to the thing to check in and I had lost my wallet. It had fallen out somewhere. So I had my passport and I had like, I don't know, 20 US dollars or something like that. But I lost like my wallet with like my cards, with anything. Yeah, I lost my driver's license. I still have my passport. I decided to get get on the plane anyways and just go to Indonesia and like just see what happened. That's pretty ballsy. (laughs) Yeah, I was was laughing, you know, I was like, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm 19, like what can really happen? And I just walk to some beach and sleep on it, find a coconut or something. No, I met these guys, locals that hung out on the curb and sold stuff. They try to sell stuff to tourists. They thought I was lying. They're like, hey, come here, come here, buy this, buy this. And I was like, "Um, well, I lost my wallet. And they're like, like just laughing at me. And we like connected and they took care of me, took me into the projects, um, fed me every day. They got me a place to stay from their friends. They picked me up every morning. I sat on the curb, ate with my hands with these locals, spent all my time with them, helped them try and sell stuff to white people that wouldn't buy it and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And they wanted to take me to their home island and, to their favorite quote favorite waterfall and we were climbing up it It was pouring rain and and of course there's not trails like there are at malibu creek you know and they're just we're just climbing up rocks and it's pouring rain big rocks moss and we got up to the top crazy experience we're coming back down and i slipped and i fell Mm. and i fell off the rocks and off the side of them basically got creviced fell like eight ten feet covered my head up and like to myself I was like like I felt okay regardless what would happen like it, I felt like I was doing what I needed to do in my life at the time and right before I hit the ground this was like you're gonna be okay and I boom I hit the ground and I'm like creviced into these rocks and the side streams are coming down and the side streams are coming down and stuff like that and I am like, oh my God, I open my eyes finally. I'm like, okay, I don't you think anything's broken. Like I'm hurt, but nothing's broken. I open my eyes and I roll over and one of the guys named Ari jumped off after me and I started crying, mm. literally. It was like the most incredible thing someone done for me in my entire life. Literally, I was just crying. I was like, holy crap. And he couldn't get to me because I was creviced. So he he jumped down to try to help you? Yeah, he jumped off the rocks. We were climbing down off the side of the kind of cliff rock thing that we were climbing up to try and get me, Uh which I had fallen off of. Right. And like that just, you know, it was 10, 12 feet down um, on rocks in pouring rain like it's not dirt. He just could have slipped and hit his head and that would have been it. Yeah, it would have been it. And so I started crying because it was so crazy. And um, he couldn't get to me because I was stuck and a couple of the other guys were up on top and I couldn't jump up to him. And eventually after five, ten minutes, I was able to climb up high enough where basically they were able to like levy me back up. Mm -hmm. And I got back up there and like it was just crazy to see like just an inch one or two the other way and I could have been knocked out cold on the ground or dead and out here like away from my parents Mm -hmm. and everything that I loved and like missed out on the opportunity to really give my gifts to the world and like what was I doing I was going to travel around for two more years go all the way through Laos Cambodia Vietnam like it made me really wonder like 
what was I doing? And like, I knew I was okay. And like, of course they didn't. And like, they're breaking up all these fruits and making medicines and Uh cleaning me and like massaging me. And like, I canceled, I was going to go all the way through Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, like I said, and I ended with 14 days silent meditation in Thailand instead and decided to come home and write mm-hmm. my book and mm-hmm. really try to stand for something. And right. Interesting. Right. So that really was a, a pivotal moment. I mean, in, like in retrospect, looking back on that experience, you, you know, what is the, like, what is the, the, the thematic like takeaway when you look at your life? Like, what did you draw from that? That is, a, a, that is sort of informed, you know, the first book and the book that you're that's about to come out like where what is the what are the principles that you're divining out of this as a young person yeah what i really took out of it was like for me personally i believe the most important thing in life is to really is to really find our gift and and really take a stand um to to bring ourselves into this world and for me i knew i had a story which became a book inside of me um and I, I really believe that right now, like one of the most important things that we can do as as people is really start to uncover more of who we are, what we're really about, and what we really stand for. And I started to uncover those things, and I really wanted to share that with, especially with other young people, mm-hmm. that like it's okay to leave the prescribed path, and it's okay to really go after your dreams, and like it's okay to like feel different and different things like that was really what I wanted to share with the world. Mm-hmm. And what I took out of it was like, it wasn't about getting a certain level of, of fame or money or the perfect woman or whatever it was. It was just really about finding that place within ourselves. And when we find that place within ourselves, some people call it God, some people call it love, some people call it spirit, some people call it self heart, whatever, mm-hmm. finding that place and really projecting that into the world. And like, I believe that's what self-realization, self-actualization is. And to me, that's the most important thing in my life is like, is self-actualizing myself to the greatest degree I can to really contribute to this world that we talked about earlier. That's really falling apart in a lot of areas and, and really being centered in our purpose, I believe is one of the cornerstones of fulfillment and a life well lived. That's beautifully put, man. Thank you. And you know, I think that it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary to confront somebody and say, you, you have a gift and your job on earth here is to express that more fully. You know what I mean? For a lot of people, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I'm just trying to like pay the bills and a lot of people feel so disenfranchised that they don't believe that they have a voice that has value or that they deserve to, you know, sort of live this life of their dreams or that they have a gift. Because I think people equate that with something like uh, like a genius level talent. Like, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about whatever it is that makes you uniquely you. That's what you're here to express. Yeah, and I think that, you know, what I, in my new book, that book, book over there the purpose principles i i I cite a lot of like unfamiliar stories of familiar people and i i've found a lot of times it's like we think it's this our purpose or our passion or what or whatever our place is some grandose huge thing writing a book going multi-platinum with an album or something (laughs) like it's so much little man like i believe at the core what we really need is like more people who care about one another and more um positivity and love that's shared in the world and like that's so on such little things like 
it's like how much of more of a difference would it make? Like I, sometimes I walk into the, to the store and like when I talk to the cashier, it's like, I can see in their eyes how much it means. Cause nobody does that for them. Right. And right. little things like that, just like the ways that we can, you know, um, for whatever, for holidays, like a, a way that you can go give back to someone like really little things. And I think that what we find is what I found at least. And, and a lot of the people that I speak with is they really find that they feel most alive when they're finding a way to, to really share their, their happiness or, or finding really a way to, to give back. And I think that when Pete, when more and more of us realize that somebody else cares about us and that we're validated and that we're loved. Like we're going to help other people find our power and find our places. And it's not, it doesn't mean it's writing a book like, or whatever it is. Like that's not everyone's place. Just little things. Like, I don't know what gift mother Teresa's was other than that. She like cared about people a lot. Like, you know, and I think that those types of things on, it's easy to over, we have a world that focuses on the big things and our media focuses on the big things and Jay-Z sells a million bajillion copies and we see all these things. This person sold this, this person did that. And those little things I think, you know, are, are really important. One time I got, I had the honor of going with, um, Tom Shadyak, the Ace Ventura, all those. I got to go with him to go. He's a, yeah, he's really an interesting guy, man. I got to go with him to, he delivered 250 bicycles to the fifth grade um, students at Foster Elementary um, in Compton so oh, wow. for Christmas. And I got to go with him to drop them off. And what he said to them afterwards is he had all the kids come out. And it's, it makes me tear up every time. He had all the kids come out and he got, we got all the bicycles out and he's like, I just want you to know that I'm not giving you these so you can have a bicycle. I'm giving them to you because I want you to know that we care about you and that you matter. And I think that the more we can do those for other people, the more we'll find that we ourselves matter and that, you know, we'll find that, um, the ways we can care more for ourselves, which will create more of like that freedom from the stress. And, you know, I think that the way will be made as Laird Hamilton told me one time when we start taking those steps, I think I like to share those because when the word purpose and passion and those things, goals get brought up, we think it's this grandiose thing, but even when we're on the daily grind and we can't step out of, or we think we can't step out of, you know, the, the nine to five grind, like there are ways where we can either, if you've always wanted to make an album or a book, for instance, spending a Stephen King used to write for three hours every single morning before you'd go to work. That's how we got started. Mm -hmm. But then there's other things just like on the weekend going and see how you can, you know, share something with someone. Well, and it's never been easier to put out your creative product to the world. The, the sort of channels of distribution have been democratized and it's open to you. But, you know, I love what you said. I love that story about Tom Shadiak and, and the bikes. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And really, you know, the, the, the takeaway for me from that is that fulfillment is in the giving. You know, it's in the service. And when you can get out of yourself and your problems and what you want or you need and you sort of invest yourself in what somebody else needs and serve that end, that's when, that's when, you know, fulfillment and happiness can enter the equation. And it's not like happiness, like, uh, rainbows and unicorns. It's like 
feeling good about yourself because self-esteem comes from performing esteemable acts. And for most mm. people, it sounds like a burden, but it's actually a joy when you make that a practice. And it, it infuses your life with a level of purpose and, um, and value that you can't get anywhere else. And that takes you on your own journey. I mean, I think, you know, in your, in your TED Talk, you quote Emerson with that, that I don't know exactly what Do the Do not go is, where the like, path may lead and said, leave the path and make your well, own there's, trail. Well, there's that one, but there's also like, if you take a chance on your dream, the future will take care of itself, right? It's sort of like stepping out in faith and, and knowing like, you know, I'm just doing this because this is, this is a good thing to do. Like, I'm not doing this because this is part of like, you know, step one of 10 of the, how I'm going to get to the thing that I want to get that I think is going to make me happy. It's just, this feels right. And I'm doing this now. And then that has its own energy. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I also really liked how you said feel. In my book, I talk about how we think our feelings. I think I feel this instead of really going with our feelings. And I think we've created such like a rational, a rationalized, quote unquote, logical mind world where everything. Well, especially is for men too. It's not really like we're not really encouraged to like take actions based on our feelings, yeah. especially like career choices. <laughs> for real, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, and and for those that are listening that don't know, like just to bring it back to Tom Shadyac for a second, he's a incredibly successful film director he directed ace ventura and like all these huge you know comedies uh made you know bazillions of dollars lived you know as as large as as you possibly can in giant mansions and all of that and 
you know, had a sort of crisis of conscience, like a spiritual crisis where he was realized like this, none of this is making him happy. And he had to like reevaluate his life. And he just basically got rid of all of his possessions, moved into uh, this, this trailer in Malibu and downsized his life and made a documentary about it called I Am, right? It's called I Am? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a beautiful documentary. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for you guys to check it out because if you haven't seen it, it's really worth watching. He's an extraordinary dude. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. <laughs> That'd be rad. Here, but uh, but um, that's cool. And he, ba- you know, the message really is like all these things that you think are going to make you happy. I'm here to tell you because I've lived it. That's not the answer. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And like, I also thought it was unique to know that his dad wanted, his dad founded St. Jude's. Mm -hmm. His dad wanted children's hospital. His dad wanted to be a doctor. So originally he also followed his feeling and ended up creating this gargantuan success. And of course he realizes, as you beautifully shared, that it wasn't the answer. But I thought that was interesting too, that originally he just followed his, like that feeling for Mm -hmm. sure. Right, right, right. So, all right, so you come back from your travels and you're like, I'm going to write a book, right? Yeah, that's what <laughs> happened. Yeah, well, I, in the ostentatiousness, the audacity <laughs> of this young person, right? Yeah. What got into you? Uh, 14 day silent meditation, falling off the cliff. 14 day silent meditation yeah. was profound. I, where was it? Where did that go down? Thailand uh-huh. in a, it's called Northern Insight Meditation Center. Um, I'm not, I don't have any, um, type of uh institutionalized spirituality or religion or anything like that and it's a technically a buddhist place but they let you go in like mm-hmm. you don't need to be buddhist to go and that was really profound and i had an experience where uh, i saw my whole life saw like this voice told me what i was supposed to do i could see my book done i could see all these things and i was right. like that's it. I'm going back. How many days in? <laughs> like that was the fourth day. Twelve. Like, <laughs> fourth day. After fourth three days day. of wow. tears and thinking I was gonna like uh-huh. hop over the fence in the middle of the night and run and leave. Right. And that was really profound. I, you know, just also a little background on me. Like I failed junior English class in high school. I got a. 1400 on my SATs could never I, if there wasn't a word for least likely to write a book in high school uh-huh. that was this guy I cheated Wait, on everything uh, isn't like 1400 well they changed this it's scoring, out of 2400 right? now okay yeah yeah it used to be 60 yeah it would have been that yeah. it used to be out of 60 like, that sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah no I got I, I got like you know uh on the lower side of not a failure but you know like nothing good right um and yeah I came back I taught myself how to write um, along the way while I was traveling before I left by re- and after by retyping The Great Gatsby because I heard Hunter S. Thompson did that. That's how he learned how to write. Retyped it? Yeah, retyped it. Yeah. Like yeah. literally just read it and typed it? Yeah, put it next to the computer and just typed that's, it. That's how you figured out how to type? Or that's how I figured out how to type fast. That's how I figured out how to how to describe things the way that I, I appreciated them described. I like the way F. Scott Fitzgerald would describe things. I mm-hmm. like the way he would describe American culture. I like the way he just described um, people. Um, I like the way that he wrote the message that he shared, everything about it. It was just in the same way that if you want to be a reggae musician, you're probably going to learn Bob Marley. Right. Like, right, 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 I wondered, right. like, once I heard Hunter S. Thompson, that's how he learned how to write. Like, well, why don't we apply that to books? So I just like, just practice like getting in the flow of someone who 
have, you know, uh, the great Gatsby's like one of the quote unquote, according to our culture, the, one of the greatest pieces, pieces of literature ever. So I just like tried to, you know, get some practice typing something that was apparently so profound that really, for me, when I read it, really put me in, put me there. I, I really, the description was incredible. Everything about it, the way he described characters and everything was really profound to me. And that's like kind of what gave me the space in order to write. Mm-hmm. I had no idea if it would ever pan out. I ended up like, I just pressed the keys down and it just started flowing and wrote this book about my journey and like these, these topics we've been all discussing. Um, um, from the world to this type of discovery things and, and right. put the, the couldn't get a publisher. No one would publish me. Right. So you hit the pavement with this thing. You're knocking on lots of doors, getting tons of no's, yeah. right? <laughs> Literally knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's like to the point where it was like the only reason that people didn't get mad is because I was a kid, you know, I had right. that working for me. Right, you could just you could sort of like rely on just pretending like <laughs> naive kid yeah. get away with all this yeah. stuff that like somebody my age they would just be they would not it would not go well yeah, it would not go well yeah and uh, everyone said no I covered my wall in uh, affirmations to be published by a certain publishing company you know that I I don't want to mention they were one of my they were my favorite company I met the went over to the founder's house I, I was for sure I thought they were publishing me. And then they told me no. They told me I should self-publish it, and I didn't have a platform, and I wasn't famous, and you know all those mm-hmm. things. I had no, I didn't even have a Facebook page, and uh, or a smartphone. Oh. <laughs> and I was just so disheartened. And every literary agent told me no. And this is a cool story, but no one wants to hear a nineteen-year-old's memoir that no one's ever heard of. This will right. be great once once you're famous. This will be great. I'm like, I'm not writing this to be famous. You're too young to write a memoir. Yeah. Your life hasn't even started yet. Yeah, and um, so what ended up happening is I heard about one other agent that I had on my list. I had never contacted him because he was the biggest agent that I had on the list and that I knew of in the category of books. Um, kind of counted myself out. And someone told me where he lived and I printed the manuscript and he lived near where I grew up (laughs) and I went to his front door (laughs) with flowers and a handwritten note and, uh, and I knocked on his door and, uh, like he, him and I hit it off. And, uh, two weeks later he wanted to represent me. Wow. And, um, what do you think it was? Like what, what, what tipped him? I mean, he's, you know, he was the, the most unlikely of all these agents, the right? Unlikely. I mean, but like, did, was he just taken with this young person who shows up with flowers and seeing he, like, oh, there's potential here? Like, yeah, he took it as, you're 19, I represent people in their 60s. If you're 19 now and you can write a book in 40 years, we're going to have something really special. And if you have the, like, the stupidity to show up at my door, you're probably going to do a lot of other ridiculous things that will work well. Mm-hmm. He also really connected with the fact that I was young. Um, there's not any really many other young people. You know, there's people that write to young people, but not very many that are young themselves. Um, a lot of different things like that that he really connected with. I think he appreciated the fact that I wanted it so bad. Like, this wasn't a business opportunity for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it wasn't at all. It's starting to work out great now, but like, you know, it was not. And 
he appreciated all those things for sure. He really, I think he was just, he was taken aback that I was 19 and like I was, I had enough confidence or just like fake confidence, whatever it was at the time to show up. And he's become like, you know, like a, uh, another father type figure to me since then. And two weeks later we had a deal for him to represent me. No one would still take me even with mm-hmm. him. So I had to self publish. Right. So even though you had this agent, he still couldn't get you a publishing <laughs> no, deal. Right. He couldn't get me one. Everyone said, no, self publish, show us you can do it. And like, I was like, I'll show everyone, you know, I was like 19. Uh-huh. So I was like, I was still a little bit, you know, out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and, so I self-published the book and everyone told me like, you know, most books, uh, as you know, only sell like the average is like 250 copies. Like if you sell 3000 copies, like you're in the top 10, 15%. Mm-hmm. Because people don't read anymore. Like, yeah. You see like the Amazon rankings and all that. It's like, actually you, you don't have to sell very many books. To no. the top of that. And I think also like, People think that the publishers are going to do it for them, and so well, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. have a whole other podcast yeah. on that subject matter. Yeah, right. And so you got to take ownership and responsibility for. I mean, taking responsibility for your path is is a big part of your new book. But you know, when you write a book, whether you're self published or you have a publisher, you still have. To, it's still you're you're the one who's going to have to get out and hustle. Yeah, and and I really t- my agent told me that from the get go, and he told me like. Like, look, um, if you can sell a thousand copies in like, I don't know, a year and a half, like that would be great. Like, you know, kind of everyone told me like, kind of expect to sell like a hundred copies. Like, don't be disappointed if this doesn't Mm -hmm. work. And we sold 15,000 in 12 months Mm, and I went door to door. I did like literally to strangers. So your dad's a salesman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally I went to strangers doors. I had doors. I had a guy tell me I was like, you're not afraid to knock on someone's door, are you? I no, I was totally afraid, man. Uh, I think that's the thing. Like, I was totally afraid, but uh-huh. I did it anyways. Um, Laird Hamilton wrote the forward to that book, and I got to interview him before it came out. Yeah, how did that? How'd you hook that up? I emailed him, and he answered. Like, I think it's really? so overlooked. <laughs> like, people don't think that yeah. people check their email, so no one sends them. But I think it doesn't actually get to them. Yeah, you know, that's the big secret. Is I think it actually, in most cases, it does. Yeah, they it just does. Choose whether they they're going to respond to it or not. Yeah, it does. And he did the interview, and like that, I cried afterwards, and like it changed my life to see this guy that is so honored as like this. Um, man among men and he says he's scared all the time and like mm-hmm. I really took that into heart and the book did well I met Jack Canfield who I read four years ago and gave that TED talk that's and, a like, great story too we're gonna get into that but let's stick with Laird for a minute yeah let's, let's do it <laughs> so you just went what did you go over to his house and interview him or like you just how did that work yeah I went over to his house and I interviewed him and I went to his place up in Malibu and uh-huh. I uh he had um I got nervous the night before because I saw on his Facebook he was in Tahiti. I'm like, did he forget about my interview? Uh, Like, what the heck? And uh, so we drive up there and uh, Gabby's, his wife, uh, is like, you know, uh, hey, like he's going to be a minute or two um, because he fell into a reef last night in Tahiti and like comes down, like his whole arm's like bandaged up. (laughs) And... uh, 
and I he it was like gonna be a 20 30 minute interview and we ran two hours oh wow that's and cool yeah it was so cool and like I told him I was like I don't care I don't want to talk about surfing like I want to talk about everything else right and it was crazy to hear from this guy like the, the ways the, the the first thing he said to me is my favorite quote is by Henry David Thoreau uh that, Massive uh, men lead lives of quiet desperation. No, it? no, it was a uh, disobedience is the true foundation of liberty, is what uh-huh. he told me. And that was crazy, man. Like I was night, I think I was nineteen or twenty, you know. So to have that opportunity at that age um, and really get the uh, assurance from like life or whatever the universe that like I was on the right path was mm-hmm. really big because. You know, it was definitely scary, and it was like I learned so much from that from from that experience. Like, he grew up. You know, it sounds like you're familiar with his story. Like, growing up, no running water, um, having nothing, and wanting to surf. And like, teachers literally said, like, you can't do that. You can't eat your surfboard. Like, would make fun of him, and they'd always tell him, you can't eat your surfboard. Mm-hmm. And um, his he was so poor, he couldn't get us surfboard at the time of course they're not like how they are today but he first learned on on a surfboard because some guy out in the water snapped his board threw half of it away in the trash can and Laird learned how to surf on a broken surfboard Mm -hmm. and like all those types of things like that were so incredible to learn because like I had no idea it's that's what my I try and share in the in the book is that like we don't know these unfamiliar stories of how we just know here they are. Well, you now. know the myth, you know what I mean? You know, the myth. And, and you know, I know Laird and Gabby a little bit. Um, Gabby actually was one of the first guests on this podcast. Oh, no way. Cool. Beginning when we were living in Kauai and they spend their winters in Kauai. <clears throat> and I remember it's funny what you said about Laird saying, you know, Oh, you know, him admitting like he gets scared or whatever. And it was the winter time, and the North Shore of Oahu was like pumping, right? And I was like, "What are you doing here, like in Kauai? Why aren't you on the North Shore of Oahu?" And he, and he's like, "They're mean. Like those guys are mean." <laughs> like, I was like, "What do you mean? Like you're the guy, you know? Like, like to hear him say that, you know, it's like he's a human being, you know." And, I thought that and, was so. Profound. And we got to know some of the people that he grew up with that are his friends from Kauai and that, that experience is really, really interesting, but that's really cool that you had that and that he was, um, so, uh, you know, forthcoming and, and wrote the forward for your book. That's super awesome. Thanks, man. It was like, so I wasn't planning on, on him writing the forward. The interview mm-hmm. changed my life. And I was like, dude, like the, here's what happened to me when I interviewed you. Like, you know, if you really connect to what I'm about, like, I'd love it if you did that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, to learn all those things about him and like see the way that he looked at the world and to hear that like, he's like, the reason that I surf such big waves is because I get so scared when I'm in the water and I think those waves are too big that I I either lock up or I paddle as fast as I can. Uh-huh. And to like learn those things about him was, yeah, it was, it was really an, I was, I'm so grateful for the way that I was able to kind of kickstart my this this new path that I decided to venture into, and mm-hmm. it was just validation. It's validation from the universe, right? Yeah, it like was. keep going, right? Yeah. And, and it kind of brings up this issue of mentorship, right? Like mentors, and and you've been pretty like solicitous of people you admire to kind of help you out. I mean, you just randomly get in touch with Laird, and the door opens, and then 
you roll up on Jack Canfield at a party. Like yeah. you drive like, you know, hours and hours and like somehow weasel your way into some party, right? And just go right up to his table and sit down and start talking to him. I mean, you got like you do have that salesman, like that fearless, maybe you're afraid, but you're you're sort of taking the action anyway to like, I'm gonna connect with this dude. Like this is my path. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's been it, it's I think it's really fun to like try and see if those things will work out and Jack has been, you know, definitely that's, that's how I go forward to your new book. Like he's really, he really is like, he really has mentored you. Yeah, he really has. Yeah. That's why I even wrote the book. His book's called the success principles. Mine's called the purpose principles. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it really has. Like I had no idea I was going to write another book. (laughs) Like At least not that it just kind of happened after I met him and got to, you know, spend time with him. And he, he's, he really has, given me a lot of of great um i mean what is what is like the most impactful thing that he sort of taught you the most directly that he taught me was so simple one time i was at his birthday party and like i finally got the nerve to ask him you know because i still i get nervous a lot and uh i was like jack what's the most important thing anyone needs to know in order to create success in their life (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Tony Robbins question. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he's like, looks at me, he's like, write it down, make it happen. And I'm like, waiting, like, come on, keep talking. And he's like, kind of looks at me and he's like, oh, that's it. Um, he's like, you know, you have, you have within you the ability to, to realize anything that, that you really desire or else you wouldn't have the desire in the first place. Like, that's what all my successful friends, they write things down clearly and then they just go make it happen. It's that simple. Mm. And like, I've just been writing things down and like, just crazy. It's just like, it really works. And simple things like that indirectly, I really saw like his birthday parties are with every, like people that he works with people he's been friends with for 40 years. Like he just wears a plain t-shirt around, like he's really believes in what he's doing and like he's of course he's done really well he created chicken soup for the soul books mm-hmm. but how many he, i mean how many books has that guy sold like 800 million he's <laughs> made on the guinness book of world records oh, for really? seven books on the bestseller list at one time oh at one time yeah seven at one time yeah and he sold so many books That's it's insane crazy. yeah and it was just cool to like see that like i met a lot of of authors I thought were my favorite authors and like I totally respect they're on their own path and like we're all going through our own experiences but I've been really heartbroken by a lot of them that they didn't who they didn't appear who I thought they were Mm -hmm. and like those things from Jack uh, about little things like friendship and different areas like that were really profound to see what he really valued while he had so many more opportunities I've never heard someone speak bad about him, pretty much any other author in that field. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of mm-hmm. negative things. And of course, it's we never know what's true and not true, but things like that. But the main thing I always take into heart was write it down, make it happen, write it down, make mm-hmm. it happen. Well, it sounds like he's somebody who's walking his walk as opposed to, I mean, especially when you're kind of in this self-help world, you know, where there's a lot of people saying, do this to be happy or successful. And and then looking at at their actions versus the words on the the pages of the books that they write. And when there's dissonance there, that's disappointing. Yeah, it is for sure. And, you know, it's something that I'm always trying to check within myself, you know, like, am I, 
with this podcast and the book that I, you know, it's like, am I, am I walking my talk? Like I, you know, I'm a human being. Like I always have to check in and go, I can do better here. Like one of the things I'm doing right now is, uh, I noticed how I'm, I'm, I, my relationship with my iPhone and like with social media on my iPhone has, has become like too addictive. Like it's just, it's not healthy. You know, I'm checking it too much when I'm driving and I hit a red light, like I'll look at like who emailed, you know, it's, it's stupid. Right. And so I'm like, as a result of a podcast interview that I had with this guy, Josh Ship, the one that's up this week, he challenged me. He's like, take that stuff off your phone, man. Like do an iPhone detox. Like you can't, you got to like create boundaries and rules around social media. And it's, 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 it's like infecting your life in a bad way. And you can be more productive. You can be happier. You can be more present and you will be more effective in all these different areas if you can do that. And it's like, I didn't want to do that. You know, I, didn't, I was like, I like that addiction. I like that rush that comes with it, but it's like, he's right. So I'm doing that now. Like, so that's an example of, you know, you can always do better. You can always improve, but, but trying to make sure that, that, you know, what you're saying to the world is matching with how you're behaving. It's hard as a human being, but I think when all you have is like your word and your, you know, your integrity and your reputation, uh, as somebody who's like yourself is venturing out and becoming a public figure with, with the book, like that becomes really, really important. Yeah, no, I, so that's, that was the biggest thing that I really got. I, you know, I've learned a lot of his little productivity and Mm -hmm. different types of strategies and things he implores like that. But just seeing the way that without him saying things, just watching him, you know, I'm someone that I just like to be around people that I'm inspired by just so I can watch them a bit and see how they interact and different things like that. So that Mm -hmm. was a big thing for me and something I really, I don't want to, you know, and I know you don't either. I don't want to in two years and five years and 10 years to create a lot of success and jeopardize my backbone in order to do mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. What is it? You know, then it's just ashes in our mouth for sure. Yeah. It's it, what is the value of it then? Right. Um, so when you look at kind of the pantheon of like, you know, books that are out there in the genre of your book, like how do you approach writing your book? Like, what is it that you have to say that's different? What is your perspective? Like, how are you contributing to this like base of knowledge in a new and kind of unique way? Yeah. It's like, hasn't everything been said or has it not? Like, how do you, I think everything's, I think everything's been said. I totally agree with that. I think that what I try to do with this book and my intention behind it, you know, Jack's success principles, sink and grow rich is stories what there hasn't been is stories that appeal to the quote unquote everyday person or, or people that are interested in the corporate world and people that my book's not about money. My book's not really even about success. My book's about how to draw more meaning into your life. And, you know, like, um, I got a good review from Publishers Weekly and one thing that they, that's not easy to get. No, it's not. But they said some, you know, they said they're, their things about like, I'm not trying to reinvent any wheel. Like I think that there's nothing new that we need to learn in order to take our lives and our planet and our futures to the next level. My goal with this book is that I want the reader to see themselves in the same light as the world's biggest difference makers. And I'm doing that by sharing the stories of failure often between these people, Mm -hmm. their humble beginnings. And 
there's stories in there that I've never seen published anywhere. Um, stories that range from all types of people from Jay-Z to so far as how Taylor Swift got going to Gandhi to Martin Luther King to Bob Marley. So many stories that I've never heard shared together. And my goal is really to, isn't to, it's great to hit the people that are naturally read self-help books. I want a young person to read that and say Mm -hmm. like, that likes music. And they're like, I can do what Bob Marley did. I can do what Jay-Z or Taylor Swift did. I can do what Gandhi did. Like I can do that. I, I've messed up, but like so have they. They started from nowhere. So mm-hmm. have I. I can influence the world in a positive way. And my goal or my mission isn't different than a lot of people. Um, and I'm not trying to make it different. You know, it's just, it has my own energy, my own unique flavor to it. And there's definitely a lot of stories that people haven't heard in there. But it's, a, it's I'm not trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel. I, I, what I do believe, and something that is uniquely different than in my book, is that I believe there's no difference between spirituality and being politically active or personal development and social mm-hmm. evolution. And I was so disenfranchised with so many of my favorite authors in this movement because they shy away from political things. Mm -hmm. And I believe if we know how to improve our own lives, how to take our lives to the next level in our health, in um, our happiness, in our success and our ability to reach our goals and the ability to just be peaceful and, and content with nothing, then we know how to create change in the world too Mm. and when we can find that space of peace within ourselves and we can go in the center of the storm you know then we have like as martin luther king said the ability to uh step out of the narrow confines of our individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of humanity we have the ability to do those things if we have that space within ourselves then we're not so flustered you know with with hearing about what's happening in the world and the the um, the activists and po- political movements that are so angry and and I think that when we understand how to channel our energy we can change we can channel our pain and upset into creative energy to create change and so I really believe that um, goals go one and the same with contributing to the world and so if there's a uniqueness of my book it's really that that Mm i i i want to see the intersection um between quote unquote a a spiritual person and an activist and and being one and the same yeah i like that i mean you know it goes back to that sort of you know, Buddhist precept of, you know, if you want to change the world, change yourself. You know, if you want to improve the world, improve yourself. And it's, it's, it's weird. You know, it sounds kind of like a selfish thing, but it's really true. It's like your ability to impact and influence others is completely contingent upon how healthy you are as a person, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, most importantly, spiritually, like when you're intact in those areas, then you can carry forth into the world with a certain kind of energy and non-reactive, you know, attitude towards external events. And you have an ability to then, you know, kind of approach and and tackle those issues um, kind of from a higher plane, right? Like not that entrenched, reactive, angry place, but more objective kind of grounded um, place of solution oriented, you know, approach. 
that I believe sense? that. Yeah. I believe that a thousand percent. And I believe that that's the plate. One of my chapters in my book is about um, Martin Luther King's speech on April 3rd, uh, 1968, the day before he died on April 4th, 1968. And he's, it's his, I've been to the mountaintop speech. And he's like, I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the promised land and I'm not going to get there with you. But I want to let you know that I fear no man. My eyes have seen the glory. I will not get there with you. He knew the day before he was going to get shot, I believe. He's saying, I'm not going to get there with you. I don't fear any man, and I've already been to the promised land. For now, I'm here with you, but I'm not going to be with you for long. And the next, not 24 hours later, he was shot and killed. And I believe that that is an example of what you just shared. I think Martin Luther King was an example. And so that's a little taste of like what I put into the book and and what I try and put across. Like Mm -hmm. he was so connected to his purpose and to something higher than himself that he did. He knew he was going to get killed. And he's like, I'm not going to go hide in my room. I'm going to go out and keep speaking and keep doing what I feel called to do. Um, And so I, when I think that it's one of my favorite stories, and I actually found out this morning I get to speak in Washington, D.C. at a really big event on Martin Luther King Day. Oh, wow, that's cool. And I'm going to share that story. What's the event? It is for a bunch of different uh, corporate event um, companies that are g- getting the day off in order to go do community service for the entire day. Oh, wow. And I want to talk to them about... a what could be more important um, than their ability to influence the world opposed to their ways to make money. And I want to cite Martin Luther King because it's MLK Day. So yeah, I, that's the first thing that comes to mind when you share that. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. think one of the common things that come well that comes into our head is like well I'm not MLK and you know he's perfect or this or that but I you know I share all these stories of like failure and like mess ups by so many people like Gandhi's wife died because he refused to let her use western medicine Mm -hmm. and like two weeks later he got the same infection and used western medicine (laughs) like you know like we're not perfect and just because we've messed up before or messing up now i I believe it, we can still take life to the next level. And yeah, one of the things I, I talk about a lot is is trying to reframe or redefine how we conceptualize failure. You know, we have this idea that failure is bad. I mean, just just uttering that word it has this negative connotation, and there's this false notion that people that are successful are immune from failure or have a different relationship with failure than you or I do. And it's just not true. I mean, we really need to embrace failure as an absolute prerequisite to success because if you're not failing, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You've got to take yourself to that place where you can trip up and fall and then have enough 
sort of self-esteem to be able to say, that's okay, I'm learning from that experience and not let it devastate you and like take you out of whatever game you're playing completely. I believe that for sure. I think another great example of that that I cite in my book is uh, Jackie Robinson, his stance on rate. If you want to talk about failure, you know, like people are, coaches from the other team are screaming the N-word. They're telling they're going to kill him after the game. And he went out each and every single city, Mm -hmm. each and every single day, and he kept playing, and, and he could have died at any moment. And he went out and he kept playing because he felt this greater sense of purpose, this greater sense of passion moving him. And that ended up changing the world. And I think that that's a a great example of the repetitive failures that can happen. You know, then I cite all types of other interesting stories. Well, I mean, a big part of a big part of your book is about how to connect with your passion and kind of unlock, you know, the theme, the biggest theme of this podcast is how do you unlock and unleash a more authentic version of yourself, right? And your book speaks to that. And I think that what I want to kind of get into a little bit before we close it down is, is, you know, how you begin that process, because you, you had this epiphany on this silent meditation retreat that you wanted to write a book. It like came to you, right? And I have a pretty clear sense of what my purpose is, but for a long time I didn't. And I think most people, whether you're in my generation or your generation, they don't know, you know, we're, we're so distracted by, you know, Facebook and television and video games and whatever, you know, we're, there's so much input coming in that we don't have enough kind of quiet interior time to really get to know ourselves enough to have an idea of what it is even that we want to express, let alone what our dream is. And maybe if we have a dream, it's really not the right, like, oh, my dream is to own a Ferrari and live in a mansion. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not really, that's not a real, that's not a legitimate, you know, like kind of purpose driven plan for your life. Um, You you know, how do you begin that process of of trying to solve that Rubik's cube yeah, you know, especially, if you are that, if you're list, like someone's listening, they're like, I don't even know, you know, like all I, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation, but like, you know, I'm in a job I don't like, I'm in this cubicle. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay in this job because this is how I'm paying my bills. Right. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And I don't know what I would do even if I didn't have to be here. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I know it's totally valid. And, uh, I think great ways to start at are just looking at like little goals in our life. Like, I think it's such a powerful question. Um, that I, I like to ask, and that's like, what would happen? What would have to happen one year from now for you to look back and say it was your most successful and fulfilling year yet? That doesn't mean you need to quit everything you're doing and pursue something else. But like, what are little areas and ways to like start taking the next steps, um, especially if we're not content with where we are? And like that, the answers to those things can be losing twenty five pounds. Like that's a way to really improve our lives. If like mm-hmm. if if it's health, things like that, you know, developing on the side. Like if we, somebody was listening and wanted to try to book and they were working a lot of hours all the time. Like my girlfriend, Ashley, wants to get more and more into writing. She works crazy hours. Tomorrow she works 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The other day she worked, she left at 5.30 and she got back at midnight and she wants to get into writing. So when she has spare time, she spends two hours here and there and mm-hmm. like, I think little ways that we can start pounding at things and asking ourselves questions like what would have to happen one year from now to look back and say it was your most successful fulfilling year yet? Well, would it be like maybe traveling somewhere? Would it be starting to go to the gym every day or starting meditating or like 
whatever it is, looking at little things like that and like building and not looking at like grandiose things. Um, I think also it goes back to what I was saying earlier about little ways that we can start. Our purpose necessarily Mm. is not like, like my purpose isn't writing books. My purpose is like, I just want to like give more, hopefully uh, more positivity and more hope to the world. And like that constitutes like, talking to the cashiers at stores and like today this guy he's like yeah i don't feel that good i have like bronchitis (laughs) and like i just stopped and like gave him some time and like attention and like i really felt him appreciate that and like i think just little things like that Mm -hmm. are so overlooked it's like if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like you know, they, maybe they're not whatever they're doing. They, they don't, they don't think it's what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Like just looking at the little ways that we can get going in different areas, like even just meditating more, like ways that we can start giving back to people are really, I I believe really important and really overlook things. And I think the other thing is, especially for young people that I always talk about in schools. And I think it's so applicable to older people is trying things. We kind of, once we get in our our cycle, we quit trying new things. And I think the only way to find what we like and don't like and what may become a great passion to us is to just keep trying things. Mm-hmm. If we know what we don't want to do, that's a great step to find things that we want to do more and more. Yeah, I think giving yourself freedom to try things without that pressure of succeeding or failing just for the experience of it. And, you know, I really believe that that you know change is is possible with everybody irrespective of circumstance socioeconomic or otherwise and that the ability to transcend your circumstances begins and ends with those tiny actions taken consistently and it's not sexy to say that you know what i mean it's like you know what wake up 10 minutes earlier and, yeah. and meditate you know do what i did this week which was take facebook and twitter off your and email off your phone and instead i have i put where i where i used to have um twitter on my phone i put the headspace meditation app nice down in the bottom dock so okay so what i'm saying symbolically is that's my priority you know that's beautiful and so that's a tiny that's nothing it's a tiny thing but if i if I do that consistently, that's going to shift my energy and that's going to take me in a different direction. And, you know, in this kind of clickbait world that we live in, you know, we're, we're as human beings, we have this, you know, primate brain that is naturally gravitates towards the headline that says lose 20 pounds in a week or make a million dollars in your sleep or whatever it is. And it's just, it's not real. Yeah. You know? It's just not, you know. And so if you really want to change your life, it's hard work. You have to make a decision that you are going to reprioritize certain things in your life. And you're going to have to do things that are out of your comfort zone and aren't that fun, but also don't have to be that big a deal. It's like what you said. It's like, hey, I'm going to say hi to the cashier. You know, Instead of checking my email as soon as I wake up, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. I'm going to do the artist's way, and I'm going to do the morning pages and journal, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take myself on a one-hour artist date You know, once a week. Like All of these things... They seem unrelated to whatever your goal may or may not be, but these are the things that get you in touch with who you are, that that open these doors and set you on a new path where you will develop clarity about what it is that you really want in your life. And that will be a valid, healthy trajectory for you to explore as opposed to, um, you know, maybe a, a materialistic, you know, kind of pursuit that something that you think you want, but really isn't what you really want or what is really best for you. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, mm-hmm. man. I think that's awesome. So, 
I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally, I agree. I think that's like the most beautiful way it could possibly be said is like all those little things and like the subconscious shift that happens. Yeah, people, people want the sexy, fun answer. And it's like, it, and it's disappointing when it's the same answer, like again and again, really like, no, I want the secret answer. Tell me what the, yeah. the like if I, you know, what's the VIP answer? You I know. know what I mean, it's like, no, it's the same thing every time, man. You just have to take the action, you know? Yeah. So what's it going to take? to bridge that gap between inspiration and action. And that's what, what I'm obsessed with. Like, what is it, what is it um, about certain people that they can be inspired and take action and other people, they read the same book, they read the same quotes, whatever, and, and they want to take that action. They want it, but they just can't, they can't take that step. Is it because they're not in enough pain yet? Like, what is it that distinguishes that one person from the other? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I yeah, no, when when you asked me the question a minute ago and I'm and I'm saying it, you know, <laughs> in within me, for me, I know what my truth is and I share that vocally. And then there's the other part of me is like, what about the answer that'll sound better? <laughs> you know, like my goal is to get in, in better and better in shape. And I think a perfect example of that is like, dude, it's by going every single day. It's not yeah, by like... it's like you go to the gym every day. <laughs> you wake up early and you go running, whatever it is. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, right. And how a book is written, you know? I think those are all beautiful examples of the slow and gradual process that, that happens for mm-hmm. sure. And that that is, I think, one of the coolest... I really talk about a lot about goals in the book, but I believe the most important part about a goal is who would become in the process. And the only way that character is developed is through exactly what you were saying is about mm-hmm. the commitment every single day and the work every single day. You know, then there's the opposite side of the scale the people like Gary Vanacek, uh, who say, you only need three hours of sleep, man. Work harder. Yeah. You know, there's a place in between for all of us. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I've, I've sort of written on, the subject of like life hacks in the past and kind of seeing my way through to the other side of that. And certainly there's plenty of, you know, sort of tips to like create efficiencies in your life that allow you to spend more time doing what it is that you're passionate about. But I think that a lot of people sort of look at that, that these hacks as like the end game, like that's like their whole life should just be hacking everything all the time. (laughs) It's like, well, what are you, what are you hacking to get to? You know what I mean? Like, the hack is not the destination. It's a tool to be able to free you up to really invest yourself more fully in the thing that it is that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that thing shouldn't be hacked. That's the thing that you should be investing all of yourself in. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, like one of my main goals is I really want to more and more deeply develop my meditation practice. And I don't know if there's a five-minute hack in order to do it. It might just be that I need to sit longer. But I do, um, I also, you know, while we're on that, subject like one thing i did learn from jack that's really served me and you know some other people have also found value in is um what he calls a rule of five you know um whether it's getting our goal is getting healthier every single day or it's starting to create financial freedom from an online business or whatever it is five things every single day to move closer to that goal and Mm -hmm. when jack was an unknown author they, him and Mark Victor Hansen on the first chicken soup for the soul book, they implored this rule of five and they got the idea because they went around and they interviewed like uh, tons of authors and marketers about how to do it. This one guy's like, if you were in the forest and you were stuck out there and like you really needed, you're going to need some wood for a fire and there's this really big tree and you didn't have any food so you didn't have that much um, energy forever. 
Um, would you just swing as hard as you could till you passed out? Or would you like take a little <laughs> bit more concentrated, like take like five hacks and take a little uh-huh. break, take five more hacks, take a little break. Eventually it'd come down. And they implored this rule of five thing where like five things every single day. So it's like, you know, the other thing that can happen a lot is like maybe we know a direction we want to take, even if it's getting healthier every day. And so we go to the, we drink a bunch of coffee and go to the gym for four hours and then we're done for the next three weeks because we're so sore. Too sore, right? As opposed to just taking the smaller action every day, taking little bites out of the apple every single day. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I wanted to share that because I think it's a cool thing. Yeah, rule of five is what Jack calls it. I I talk about that a bit in the book. So it's not as overwhelming. Like we're not going to get there overnight and, and, you know, it's it's a great way to be able Mm -hmm. to stay on pace and know that we're still making progress. Yeah, and it happens, you know, when no one's looking, and it happens anonymously with the little things that you're you're doing. You know, you don't they, they don't have to be broadcast on Facebook. They're just actions that you're taking consistently. And when you when you kind of crack that seal and start doing it, it develops its own momentum. You know, it's it's that same thing like like when you're going when you when you go to the gym and you start feeling fit, then you want to go to the gym, and then you're going to the gym all the time. But then something interrupts you, and you don't go for a week, and and then it becomes really hard to get back, yeah. right? Because your your flow, your momentum is interrupted. So I think it's about creating those those momentums in the various areas of your life that you're trying to improve or you know pursue goals. I believe that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I also I also was thinking in my head when you you said something about Facebook. I think it's also as a uh, a, gr- a a fun thing to do is like go out there and like. Do something for someone else and don't tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. And like, I think when I have done that in my life and I notice like how much more of that like feel good energy stays with me <laughs> instead of when I go tell some people right. or post it up. Then you broadcast it. <laughs> it takes all the magic out of this. Right? Yeah. I think those are great, you know, little takeaways that, you know, all those little things can improve the quality of, of they have improved the quality of my life and I believe they can help others. Right. Very good. Yeah. Like I, I recently uh, interviewed Dean Karnazes, an ultra marathon runner. And he said, he, you know, basically a guy goes out and runs like 30 miles a day. Like he's just, his whole day, he doesn't even own a car. He's just running all the time. <laughs> and he said he brings uh, like, a, you know, a bunch of dollar bills with him and he just kind of holds them in his hand and he, he puts them on like windshields on cars when he's running by just like little tokens of like, you know, dropping little, like just like little, you know, things that just, and he's like, it makes me feel great. Like it's just a small little thing or whatever, but you know, that's an example of what you're saying. I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. And if you don't have any money, I can't tell you how many times. Yeah. Just a smile on a nice exchange. Yeah, dude. The other day I was a little frustrated and, um, I was walking down the street and this lady smiled at me. Dude, it made, I would literally, I was like, afterward, I was like, oh, there it is again. And like, it just changed my whole day. Mm -hmm. And like, she doesn't know that, but like, it literally changed my day just from somebody stopping to smile instead of looking at the ground. Mm -hmm. And like, I believe that the more and more that we do those things, the more and more like, that's how we can create change. I agree, man. I think that's a good place to close it down. I agree. Thanks so much, dude. <laughs> I appreciate it. So cool. So uh, the purpose principles is coming out January second, right? Yeah, is January second. It's up yeah. for a pre-order now. Yeah, it's up for. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's up cool. for pre-order now on you know online retailers, and we'll be in Barnes and Noble and 
all that fun stuff. Excellent. So we're in mid-December right now. So I'll probably post this like first week of January. I'll try to get it up then. So right when the book comes out. I'd be very cool. appreciative yeah. of that. If you want to, if you want to get it, pick it up on, use the, use the uh, Amazon banner ad at richroll.com, of course, to pick it up. Um, and if you're digging on Jake and you want to connect with him, the best place to do that is jakeducey.com. Right? Yes. Thank you. I said yeah. your last name right. Ducey, right? Yeah, you that said it right. That's D-U-C-E-Y. it. D-U-C-E-Y. And you're on Facebook and Twitter at Jake Ducey Author. Yeah, right? Jake Ducey Author. And yeah, I've got a YouTube channel, kind of unroll. I've got a cool series, done a bunch of videos that have not been released yet. Ah, cool. So I'm pretty excited to, to put those out. You're going to like roll those out with the book coming out and all that? Exactly. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. a fun rollout plan for 2015 that I'm really excited about. And uh, I think we've got some put a lot of time in, into some cool videos that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. And uh, is all the places where you're, you're going to be speaking a lot too, do you have like a schedule of that up on your website? Yeah, my website and the Warp Tour is another big one, you know, um, especially for young people that want to go yeah, to yeah. that. It's a cool, cool vibe to be around. And, you know, that's just warp.com. But yeah, online and Facebook, all those places, I, I share all those fun stuff. Um, for right now, I'm definitely, I decided this for this launch to experiment putting more time into podcasts and less on physical events. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty eager for that and really grateful for the opportunity to come on with you. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, my pleasure. This is, this is great, man. I really enjoyed it. So thanks so much. Yeah, dude. Thank you. All right. Peace. Peace. Plants. <laughs> hey, I thought that was pretty awesome. Let me know what you guys think in the comments section in the blog. Don't forget, I'm starting this new Q&A podcast format every two weeks or so. So if you have questions that you want me to answer, specific subjects that you want me to address, please send me your questions for future Q&A podcasts. All right, we're in 2015. What does that mean? With the new year comes those resolutions. How are you going to eat better? How are you going to take care of yourself better? How are you going to accomplish those goals you've set for yourself? Well, good news is I've got a couple online courses on just these very subjects. The first is called The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, and the second is called The Art of Living with Purpose. Both of these courses can be found at mindbodygreen.com. Both offer multiple hours of streaming video content, downloadable tools. They feature interactive communities, everything you need to get more plants into your active life to dial up your diet, and also to set you on a new and healthier nutrition trajectory, help you probe deep inside to learn more about what makes you tick, and help you set the right goals for yourself and take those goals across the finish line to create sustainable long-term lifestyle improvements for yourself to ultimately raise the bar on your personal and athletic, if that's your thing, life experience. So go to mindbodygreen.com, click on video courses at the top of the homepage menu to learn more. For all your plant power provisions, go to richroll.com. We got new t-shirts there. We have some tech tees. Finally, they're in limited supply. Don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter for a free seven recipe download to stay clued in to what's what, including pre-order incentives on our new cookbook called The Plant Power Way coming out this spring. Going to be a lot of information about that coming to you guys soon. Uh, If you like this podcast, please give us a review on iTunes. It only takes two seconds, you guys. Come on, hook me up. And if you want to access the entire RRP catalog back to episode one, the only way really to do that is to get the free iOS app in the iTunes app store. Just go to the iTunes app store, search Rich Roll. It'll pop right up. It's free. You'll love it. 
support the show by telling a friend, use the Amazon banner ad, and by donating uh, the donate buttons on the site. And please keep Instagramming. I love it when you guys uh, share the hows and the whys and the whens and the whos of how you enjoy this show. Just tag me at Rich Roll so I can spread the love. All right, we're going to close it down with the first assignment of 2015. No doubt you are writing your resolutions out if you haven't already. And this is all about what do you want to drop in 2015? What do you want to bring in to 2015? What do you want to express more fully in 2015? Well, the point is this. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So this is what I want you guys to think about. What is going to change this time around that will make the difference between creating a long-term seismic sustainable change for the better in your life versus a goal you abandoned by mid-February, which is basically most people's experience of setting New Year's resolutions and then abandoning them shortly thereafter. So I'm not asking you to do anything more this week than to simply ponder that question. Maybe do a little bit of writing around it. That's it. What is going to change? And by this, I mean really change. See you next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.